Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, producer Betsy Shepard here. I usually work behind the scenes at Offscript Media, but I'm hijacking the mic today because Matt and Andrew are out of the office this week for some much-deserved R&R. In lieu of today's Vax On episode, we'll be re-airing one of our most listened-to episodes of Out of Patience from 2020. It's an interview with David Richman on loss, grief, and getting your group back. Enjoy the show. I mean, no one plans to get sick, and yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and somehow I'm still here. I also survived our stupid broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together, because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. What do you do with the mad that you feel? One of the more profound quotes from the profound Mr. Rogers. For my guest today, David Richmond, the choice he made after losing his sister to cancer was to turn pain into passion, lace up, and in true Forrest Gump fashion, just start running. Sorry, I can't do the Forrest Gump Southern dialect too well. 85 miles between Cancun and Tulum in Mexico, 104 miles up the Pacific Coast Highway, 50 Ironman triathlons. Ugh, now I feel even more out of shape just saying those words into the microphone. But I digress, because in David's search for healing from the mad that he felt, he went on an introspective search for familiar voices to learn and heal from that turned into a 5,000-mile bike tour from California to Florida to New York City. David's path of self-discovery brought him comfort, closure, and common threads, and his new book, Cycle of Lives, which we will be discussing on the show today, is proof that grief, loss, and bereavement can lead to opportunities that you never saw coming. Prepare to be inspired and enjoy the show. David, I can't thank you enough for coming in out of patience. It's been a long time coming. We've been friends for a million years. We have way too much in common, the least of which is fathering twins. Yours are way older than mine. And you were full of the, here's what not to do now that you have twins mentor for me. It goes back a long time. And I appreciate all that tutelage. But we're here to talk about like what drives us, literally, you what cycles us because this is all up. This is the bicycle episode of my show, just for the listeners to know. And it goes back to how we become born of our condition. No one asks to have bad things happen to them. And yet we take advantage of those situations 
to give back and make a dent because it, it isn't maybe built into our DNA to take that level of response until we are put in a situation that we never asked to be put in. You know, you've been now observing the cancer advocate universe for many years, having stepped into the fray even before stupid cancer, but now being on the board of stupid cancer for so many years now, can you assign one specific thing that you look at and say, wow, this is so much better than it was a few years ago. Uh, it's 2020, right? I think so. So well, I think it's 2020. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you one of the things I didn't know that you actually helped show me. And that is that I knew that people were passionate about, you know, executive directors, founders of, of, of organizations were passionate about the, the, the organizations and the work that they did. But I, I saw you, well, you don't have that much hair to pull out, but I mean, I saw you pulling out hairs and turning red in frustration and tears of joy. I mean, the, the, to know how much it personally means to people like you who embark on a, you know, a lifelong journey to do well for others is really, really moving. So you realize that a lot of this, what's going on, it's not noise, it's passion. And sometimes we can't tap into it. We don't have time for it, but to see it, um, that's a pretty amazing thing. But to answer your question directly, because it's 2020, I'm just going to say this, Matt, I'm kind of shocked at how, how giving people still are in this, in this tough time, you know, tax laws changed. People are focused on other things. Uh, they don't have time, but yet um, a lot of the people I talk to in the nonprofit space are pleasantly surprised at how near and dear it is to people's heart to continue to give and to try to make a positive impact in others' lives. So that is something that I think is, uh, is something that we all should uh, take note of and be grateful for. I agree. I agree. The The passion and the will of the human spirit is inversely proportional to how much the world is burning. Ashes <laughs> uh, are high right now. <laughs> well, in the name of your sister, June, and bad things happen to good people. She had a brain tumor. In honoring her memory and supporting your family and creating an ecosystem, you used your farce gumpedness, I'll make that <laughs> word up, to raise money in her name and i'm just gonna 104 mile run along the pacific coast highway 85 miles from cancun to tulum mexico and then you decided you know what that's not good enough i'm gonna get on a bike and i'm gonna spend six weeks of my life cycling 5,000 miles from california to florida to new york when did it dawn on you that you wanted to talk to other people about their experiences, because that's the core of your book, Cycle of Lives. Yeah. You, you found 15 people. Look, there's 7 billion people on the planet. You found 15 to talk to and tell yeah. their stories in this book. Where did that come from? Uh, Matt, that's a great question. And when you get an idea, sometimes it just sticks in your brain. And I don't know how, how your brain works, but mine, well, I do know how your brain works. <laughs> yes, I, don't you want, do. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be, no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, you know, sometimes you plant a seed and it just, it, it's a, it's a sprout and it just goes and you got to get, you got to like cut it back right away. Other times you plant it and it just stays there for a long time and just kind of, you know, gets its little growth spurts whenever it does. And so um, wacky analogy, but that's the way that this one happened. So my sister was getting near the end of her uh, bout with her brain cancer and um, she had 
made a guarantee or a promise to her fans and friends that were raising money and awareness for her uh, that she would watch them do a 24-hour relay for life, that she'd be out there, you know, in a tent, on a cot, watching them for the whole 24 hours. And I said to her, well, I will do uh, you one better. I will be there for you, but I'll run the whole 24 hours. And so we made that pact with each other. Unfortunately, Matt, she died like two, maybe three days before. I think it was two days before the event. And so she couldn't make it, but I I figured I, I, I would have to. And, and it was tough, but I still did. And as I'm walking, running, mostly running, but sometimes walking around this track, and I'm seeing the, you know, hundreds of people coming in and out throughout the day. I realized, Matt, that, you know, this more than anybody I could probably talk to about this is that people were pretty open about talking about the tasks of their cancer. Mm -hmm. How do I navigate the healthcare system? How am I going to get time off of work? Um, uh, thank you to my friends for being able to bring food while I'm at chemo. Um, how do I navigate, um, you know, this aspect of it? Do, uh, how do I eat healthier? Like the tasks of it, people were pretty animated and open to talking about. But Matt, when it came to the emotions of it, silence. Right. And I thought to myself, I could talk to people about the surgery and, you know, some other things that I witnessed and all, but talking about like the emotion of it was something I couldn't do. And no, and I saw nobody else could do it. And I planted a seed in my head as to why we are so good about talking about everything, but the emotional aspect of this, that was the seed that was planted. And over the next few years, I just had this idea, Matt, that, you know, when I looked at, at books, I said, you know, there's a lot of one story, like this is my story, you know, like I was inspired when I was doing these athletic events, Matt, like I'd read a book about somebody, you know, climbing Everest and you get inspired or whatever. But I couldn't identify really with one person's story about this trauma of cancer. And I said, let's find 15 people, like you said, out of, you know, however many billions there are, however many thousands I reached out to, however many hundreds I talked to, there were 15 that I found that were just stunningly remarkable stories and that would give us a very, very wide range of characteristics that we could all or partly identify with each each one of these people. And then if they would let me get super deep into their brains and their emotions and their heart and talk to them about all the traumas that they had had in their lives, that type of stuff, then I thought if I could write a book that would bring that to people, then maybe the next person that's walking around the track or running for 24 hours or coming in and out for a little bit, maybe they can start those harder conversations about the emotional side. Um, and so that, that was the whole story behind it. By telling other people's stories, you are in fact telling your story through the conveyance of how you put this book together. You're mm -hmm. meeting folks that you culled out of the ether from random happenstance that you determined based on whatever criteria touched your heart and honored your sister to the best extent you didn't have a metric for. Mm -hmm. Was there one common theme amongst all of them that was a key takeaway that you didn't know you could learn or understand? Matt, that is a super excellent question because the answer to that is a definitive yes. And there was actually two things about these people that were – I think, entirely visible in each of them. Look, I, I'm going to say that this is true with almost anybody you could talk to. 
is everybody lives a spectacular life. Everybody lives a fantastic life. If you really think about the traumas that you've overcome, you know, the glories and the benefits and the blessings you've been given, and you really take a hard look and put, put it into perspective. Now, some people have it tougher, rougher, easier, more dynamic, more exciting than others, but, but life can be pretty spectacular. I mean that in the good way and the bad way. Each one of these people had a very spectacular life. Some of it not positive trauma-wise, you know, really hard things they had to deal with. But each one of them thought their life wasn't spectacular. That was amazing because it gave me the ability to really have them be unfiltered in telling me their stories because these were just the lives they had lived. They weren't making anything up. They weren't embellishing. They weren't uh, being grandiose. They weren't uh, discounting. They were just being able to talk about it. And the, the reason that the second point is so important is because, Matt, every single one of them had this in common. They hadn't talked to anybody about the emotions that they had gone through or which was more the case. They hadn't talked to anybody about the emotions they had been avoiding. And so those two characteristics, Matt, unbelievably uh, dynamic, just moving, evocative people that, uh, that I knew would just touch people very, very deeply who didn't think they were spectacular, so there was no errors about their story. It allowed me to get deep, and when we got deep, we realized that they all had this one thing in common. The same thing that drew me to do this project in the first place was they just hadn't dealt with the emotional side. Back with our guest after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So, David, let's focus on two specific people in the book. That would be Terry and Dieppe. I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly. The, yes. You are. Uh, these two struck me uniquely because they were practicing in medicine and then had cancer or had experienced it personally, mm -hmm. and it changed their life. And I remember back at Stupid Cancer, for the listeners, David is still on the board of directors of Stupid Cancer. We did many workshops when the caregiver or the professional becomes the patient. And mm -hmm. this is exemplar of that experience. Were you surprised to land two of these people in the book who were providers that got sick? I was. And these two are both stories. And it's funny because it's one thing for an author to go, like, oh, I need my ego stroked. Ooh, tell me how good the book is. But what, what really helps me not bring that kind of attention to myself is to say, which story did you like best? 
right? Because being that there's 15 stories, it gives people this, uh, the ability to not have to tell me what they didn't like. And those two often come up as stories that people identify with because what they had to come up against on their journeys in life uh, were rather spectacular. And the fact that they were caregivers, and one, one still is a professional in the medical industry, I think it added just a wonderful facet to their stories. Yeah, I know so many oncologists and professional medical folks in the industry who themselves are cancer survivors. And mm -hmm. as if you didn't need enough empathy to practice well and be a good doctor and have Hippocrates in your soul every moment, going through mm -hmm. it and then choosing to enter that profession because you had gone through it puts you in a wholly different position to appreciate the value of the relationship with the patients that you then see. But understand that uh, Dia had to stop her practice because of this. And yeah. talk to us about yeah. what she chose to do in the wake of that. So it, um, if you can indulge me for one second, Matt. So uh, with each one of the stories, what I did was I said, point A is when they encountered cancer, either as a patient, survivor, loved one, whatever. Point B is today. What happened before point A in their lives what kind of trauma did they have? What kind of experience did they have that would affect that point A to point B? Point A when they encounter cancer, point B is today. In Dieppe's case, and she's a wonderful friend, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. In Dieppe's case, her trauma that she had to overcome was she was literally the night, the night that Saigon was falling. Her and her family escaped on one of the last three barges that were pulled out to sea. I mean, absolutely stunning. And her story of overcoming the racism that she endured in coming to America, the people that just treated her horribly, and also having somewhat of a difficult family dynamic because they were in a new country and old values and those type of things. And then to be able to go to medical school and become a surgeon, become an OBGYN, I mean, imagine what was in her mind of what she had accomplished to be in her career. And this is a woman who, when you went to see her, Matt, you, you wouldn't just go see your doctor. She would hug you. She would hold your hand when she talks to you. She cared about her patients. She loved it because that perspective of what it took for her to get there was so important. And I think that when you, when you compare and contrast that against what happened to her when she encountered tumors in her brain. Now you can understand when she had to be forced to stop practicing because she couldn't hold a scalpel without shaking. And because she had these completely debilitating migraines that were just like, Matt, she, she got a wooden mallet to hit on her head. It was the only thing that could relieve the pain. She'd hit herself with a wooden mallet for hours on end to relieve the pain. To understand how much it meant to her and how devastating it was for her to stop practicing and having to stop practice because of this, that gives it some more perspective. So clearly going through the entire multi-year process of this, has this been a healing experience for you? Clearly, you know, no one really, quote, gets over the loss of a sibling. That's not a thing we say. Mm -hmm. And it will always be part of you to have that level of bereavement for all time, to what extent has now physically holding this book in your hands, by the way, listeners, it is available online wherever books are sold, Cycle of Lies by David Richmond, and we'll plug it again later. 
holding it in your hand, physically holding this book in mm -hmm. your hand today, what does that represent to you with regard to the healing and the never-ending struggle of enduring loss? Uh, it's like such a great question. Um, it gets me a little even teary, Matt. I mean, what the heck? Why you got to do that to me? You know, I think that I might have had that in common with everybody else, which was to not deal with the emotional side of it. And I mean, you know this uh, way better than most people, Matt, that when you get sick, you either get better or you don't, right? But with cancer, there's just this, this great unknown that you just don't know. And I think when it comes to cancer, um, people maybe have the ability to maybe contemplate mortality more than some with some other illnesses because there's just such an unknown. And I think that even through the ability, like my sister and I talking about her death, even about, you know, uh, delving into this project and learning about other people's stuff. I, st I don't think I still process the emotional side of it. Going on this bike ride and and going through the writing and the editing process with, with a couple of different editors that, you know, made me go deeper. You know, one of them even said to me, uh, you know, y your story is hollow because you don't talk about what you discovered. And it was right because I was avoiding it. And so very long answer to your question. I apologize, listeners. But yeah, holding that book in my hand makes me realize that I, I'm okay with it. Like I've, I've processed it. I understand it. I'm grateful for the experiences that she's given to me through what she lost. You know, and I feel, I feel proud that, that something I'm doing might be able to help others do the things that most people can't do, which is talk about this emotional side of things. I do want to make a point what you brought up before is I, I tend to jibe people that, oh, so you want to be an author, just another cancer book, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. Like right. my don't start a blog, don't start a charity. Like purpose is you don't write for anyone but yourself. And publishing uh -huh. a book is no one publishes a book to make money on purpose and get rich sitting on a shelf for the purpose of these types of analogs. It's so important to recognize and have that self recognition that you have that this is a passion project and your choice to make this a amalgam of stories that sum up into one specific theme is, as I said before, it is your story. I would disagree with anyone that says that you didn't show your emotion. The mere fact of having this thing exist in space and time is your emotion. And uh -huh. you, this is what we talk about, empathy and self-realization and self-actualization. How can you represent the feelings you have inside you appropriately so you can manage your stress, your grief, uh -huh. your loss, and your quality of life? You, you are demonstrably exemplar of having gone through that. Uh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, and what you said, I almost almost started laughing about it not being a money-making enterprise. And the only reason that this book is going to make me feel good about not making any money is because I'm giving it all to the, the cancer-focused charities that were picked by the book participants. So I don't have to look at it and go, oh, I didn't make any money. But it's not. this one is not about the money. I'll, I'll tell you uh, what it's about. Can I read you something? By all means. Yes. I got a text last night from somebody who's reading the book and I think she's on about the 10th uh, story and she only sent me one or two notes. And she sent me a note last night at eight o'clock 
Well, effing A, I just got done with Kimberly. That one left a mark. That's what you want to do as a writer. You want, you want to tap into their emotions. You, you want to evoke feelings and you want to have them feel for the characters. You want to have them be moved by the story and to know that people are moved by these stories. I think to myself, holy cow, that might, if she runs into somebody that is going through something as difficult as cancer, maybe she might be just a tad bit more on how to talk to them. And how great is that? I mean, that no money could top that, Matt. I also do want to mention before we wrap that the idea of crowdsourcing, the philanthropic aspect of the book is genius. I don't know anyone that has actually consciously made that effort to do and asking these folks, where do you want proceeds to go to gives them such a power over the potency that the <laughs> book can have the impact for. Uh, obviously, Stupid Cancer is one of them, but what are the other groups that are uh, benefiting from the sale of the book? Uh, we have uh, Children's Hospital LA. We have the Perlmutter Cancer Center, um, Moffitt Comprehensive Cancer Center in Florida, um, American Cancer Society. There's a, there's a bunch more. They're all listed on the website. They're listed inside even to let everybody know the type of organizations that the book participants were looking to support. David Richmond, friend, scholar, author, runner, athlete, person. My God, the book is Cycle of Lives, 15 people's stories, 5,000 miles, and a journey through the emotional chaos of cancer available wherever books are sold. Thank you so much, my friend. You're so welcome, Matthew. Thank you for having me on. And uh, we will definitely talk soon. And good luck with the twins, bud. What twins? Totally kidding. <laughs> Bye, folks. That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seeley, Jen Orange, and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seeley. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.